everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. The latest class, Raising Responsible Kids, just came out, so I'm going to cover some tips on raising responsible kids at the end of the episode. But also, I just wanted to share that I went onto iTunes for the first time in a while to read through the reviews. Always a fun thing to do. (laughs) Actually, they were almost all really nice. And to those who wrote a really nice review, some of them actually brought tears to my eyes. So I just want to say thank you for the really thoughtful and kind words. And of course, I always want people to be honest. Honesty is always appreciated. There was one review that I don't offer enough information for parents who struggle with concerns with elementary aged kids. So I just want to put out there that I answer the questions that I get. So if you have a child of any age and you want to ask a question, ask away. I always solicit questions at the end of the podcast. I know a lot or most of the parents have infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, but I think parents always appreciate hearing what's coming. So please send in your questions. If you have them regardless of your child's age. I've never not taken a question unless it's either super vague or it's one I've already covered exactly. And then I just send the listener back to that exact episode where it was already covered. But other than that, I answer every single question that comes in. And of course, don't forget all the classes on the website at yourvillageonline.com. I cover lots of tips and tools for parents with kids in elementary, including the self-esteem class for ages five and up, the discipline tools for elementary age kids, which covers all the positive discipline tools that are good for this age range from five to 10, the peaceful parenting classes, misbehaviors and solutions, honesty and respect, getting kids to listen, power struggles, then of course the class on temperament, helping your child with anger, if your child is dealing particularly with any kind of aggression or anger issues, and then some, of course, the education-related topic with homework or bullying, um, kids in media, newborn to 10 and 11 plus, talking about how to regulate media at home, summer safety, and of course, our latest, raising responsible kids for parents with more than one kid, birth order, and siblings without rivalry. So lots of classes in there that are also appropriate and pertinent to this age kids. So now for the questions this week. For today, I have a question about dealing with weapon play and talk of killing. And the second question is a follow-up potty training question. The first question from Devin, who wrote, Aaron, my son Patrick is three years old. He's great, independent, curious, and kind. We have been very deliberate parents. Following through with the positive discipline approach we learned from you and our daycare is on the same page. In the last two weeks, Patrick has started talking about swords and killing people. I'm 100% certain that he did not hear about that or overhear it at home. My first reaction was to say that this is not kind and we are kind to ourselves and everyone else. Then I said that's very serious and if you continue talking about that at daycare, you'll have to see the director. Neither response seemed to curb the behavior. Usually I would ignore undesirable behavior like potty talk, but I'm struggling to ignore this and feel like it warrants a response. Am I making it worse? This is our first true foray into the world of peer influence. Other kids have older siblings and more screen time and likely told him about killing at daycare. I can't totally shut it down because I can't deny that swords and killing are a reality. He needs to know how to relate to the world, but I don't want him talking about that and I don't want to tolerate pretend killing or weapon play, at least at three years old. Help! So, 
I know that when our sweet, kind boys start talking about guns, swordplay, and killing, it can be quite jarring, especially when we've taken great care to set up an environment where we do our best to eliminate exposure in every possible way. Now, here's what I can tell you about this type of play, the guns, the swords, and the play fighting. This type of play is about power. It's power play. Boys, girls do it too, but in a different way, are trying to work out, the. and, and this is in general, but boys tend to be more into this type of play than girls. There are some girls who will do it. And then girls do power play, but in a different type of way. But they're trying to work out the power dynamics, and so they use it in their play, and that often includes weapons, and the good guys versus the bad guys, and yes, sometimes talk of killing or you're dead. And in your son's case, the language was very likely picked up from another child at school who may have an older sibling or cousin or what have you and may not have necessarily been through media or other exposure. But despite what we would hope that with our best efforts that they will not follow their peers, they're drawn to this type of play dynamic. Now, despite the fact that the tools include weaponry and the talk of hurting or killing others, it is their way of making sense of the world and human nature through pretend play. So yes, it is very normal, but it can feel very disconcerting. Now, toddlers and preschoolers, unless they experience severe trauma, do not understand the true meaning of killing or dying or the word dead. It isn't until around the age of five or a little older that they really begin to understand that death is final. So before this, they see death as reversible, temporary, and impersonal. But it is okay to set some boundaries around this type of play if you would like to. So I don't know if you've talked to the school or not. I'm wondering, do they have any rules in place around it? I'm not saying they should or shouldn't be curbing it. I'm just curious so that you know where they stand and if at what point they would step in and discuss the boundaries and move the play into another direction. And that way you could be on the same page with them or you know what you're working with. Now, the most obvious boundary is about not letting the play get to a point where someone gets hurt. As soon as someone gets hurt, the rough or the power play is over and it's time to do something else. It's up to you if you want to set a hard boundary around certain words like kill or killing. Now, in my experience, in instances like this, the more we try to control it, the more intriguing it becomes. You can have some talks about using the word kill or killing and why you don't want him to use it as you begin to explore your values as a family. If you think of how he likely sees death at this point, more like a cartoon, where things spring back to life because they see death as reversible, as an impermanent state, and understand that he won't really be able to comprehend this concept more fully for quite a while, that may help you to feel more comfortable and allow this type of play and for it to run its natural course, but have some conversations and some boundaries around it. As he grows, you can have conversations about your values, about life and caring for people or animals as he becomes more aware and can understand these concepts better. Then continue throughout his childhood as opportunities arise or you can create them, whether it's seeing a dead animal for the first time on the side of the road or when he's old enough, a story in the newspaper or in the community about someone who hurt another person that he may have heard about or he may end up hearing about. And you can circumvent this and be the first one to bring it up to talk about it so that you can share your thoughts and feelings and values around it. Now, these are all times and ways to share about your values, about caring about and taking care of others, animals or people, whatever values you want to pass on. 
question. The next question about potty training is from Erin, and she says, I emailed you before about getting my son, three and a half years old, to poop on the potty. He would only poop in his bed. Following the advice Erin provided, that's me, I was slowly able to get him out of his room and into the bathroom. He is now successfully fully potty trained. The issue we're facing now is that he refuses to go on the regular toilet. He'll only go on a small floor potty. We have a seat on the toilet that has a smaller opening, but he's very resistant. Any ideas or tips to get him to go to the bathroom on a regular toilet? First, I'm really happy the tips I gave before worked so well for your son. So that's always really fun to hear. Now, this is a really common issue for little kids, especially with poop even more than for pee. And Erin, you haven't specified exactly if he's peeing in the big potty and only not interested in poop or if he's isn't interested in either. Um, I'm assuming it's just poop, but I'm going to go over both just in case. So it's really common for young kids to find the big potty pretty intimidating, pretty scary. Now, I do like that you have the smaller potty ring. That will definitely help. But there's something psychological about making something with their body and then flushing it away. And again, it's more common with poop. Now, I know it sounds really weird, but there is this pride in the process in making the poop. And so to see it so easily flushed away is a bit scary. Kind of like, can I just get flushed away along with it? Now, the scarier part about poop is that it's solid, whereas pee is liquid. So the fear isn't usually as much of a factor when it comes to peeing in a large potty and flushing. So first, just understanding this, that it can be scary for little kids, just helps to know that to begin with. So I'm going to start with pee. So getting him to pee into the big potty. Obviously, you don't need or even want the smaller potty ring for this, but you want to encourage peeing on the big potty. If he won't, then let him pee into the little potty and encourage him to do the cleanup process or to start out by helping you if he'll do that. So having him dump it, rinsing it out and wiping it out, and then also flushing the toilet. So you're helping him through that entire process, but allowing the safety of going on the potty on the floor. You want to encourage him to do as much of the process as he's willing to do on his own or as much as he's willing to help with. Each time he goes, encouraging him to try peeing in the big potty. And then if he won't, you keep the process with a small potty, having him work on the cleanup, explaining that it has to be clean for the next time so that it doesn't get smelly. Once he gets comfortable with peeing on the big potty, and maybe he already is, like I said, then you can go through this process with pooping. Encourage him to use the small potty ring, but if not, have him go on the small potty, then encourage him to help with the cleanup process. Even if he won't do it himself, you can encourage him to help you dump it, flush it. And again, I know this sounds weird, but it does help some kids if you say goodbye to the poop. Then you want to help him rinse and wipe out the small potty and then just keep up this process each time. With a little time, he will get more and more comfortable and he will soon be going on the big potty all the time. You're just helping him move through this process. It'll get less and less scary over time and pretty soon he'll just be going on the big potty, pulling out that potty ring, sitting on it and doing this without any help or encouragement from you. So for any parents who are planning on working on potty training this summer, summer is a really popular time for working on this. If you aren't sure how to get started, the potty training class on the website covers lots of tips to start working on their interest, all the signs that your child is getting ready, 
that they are fully ready or that they're definitely not ready to start potty training, along with exact steps and the things you will want to have before you get started. It's under the health and development section on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Also, there's a printout list, a shopping list with all these things that you'll want to get started. So you can take that to the store, gather up your things so that you're really ready to go. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads. Love where you live. In addition, there are over 50 classes available in many areas, including the brand new class Raising Responsible Kids, which honestly is one of my favorite classes I've ever done. This is such an important facet of parenting that I don't think it's covered enough. I cover all the areas of responsibility, including teaching self-care, daily routines, and life skills that you can teach and expect from ages 3 through 17. I also cover when and how to start leaving your kids home alone. How do you know that they're ready? There's a checklist for that and a quiz. 
so that you can be sure that you're prepared to start allowing your child to stay home alone when they are ready. I also cover how to slowly hand over the homework and studying process so your kids are self-guided by fifth grade. And just as important is how to teach responsibility in choices and actions and emotions by age. This is a huge benefit for success in life. Kids who can take responsibility for their choices and the outcomes of those choices will have a huge leg up in life. Kids are going to mess up. We all are going to mess up. We're human. We're going to screw up. But taking responsibility so they can learn from those mistakes is such a gift to them. So I love this class. Maybe it's also because it's a lot of what we're working on right now in our house. With a 10-year-old and two 8-year-olds, We work on this a lot. Now, I told my oldest, actually, just the other day, he has only eight years left in our house before he goes off to college. And while it seems like a long time, it's really not that long at all for everything he has left to learn and to be able to do and be responsible for on his own. And I consider him a pretty responsible kid, especially compared to a lot of his peers. But we definitely have a lot of work to do there. So I'm going to give a few tips here just to get you started on raising responsible kids. The first tip is start early. You want to start early. Kids as young as two and three can start to learn about responsibility. You want to start younger. It means setting a precedent for responsible behavior so that you're not having to play catch up later. It's setting this up from these earliest ages. You're going to expect your two and three-year-old to clean up after themselves, to brush their own teeth, to start taking some responsibility and understanding of their own daily processes as hygiene, getting dressed, brushing teeth, these types of things. Now, it's common in these earlier ages to deal with some power struggles and some pushback on these. And if this is your issue, I've covered this quite a bit in different episodes. You can go back and listen to ones on teeth brushing, bedtimes, those types of things to get some answers on that. But if it's something that you're still struggling with, then be sure to check out the classes. My classes cover these discipline issues with power struggles and pushback behavior. The discipline tools for toddlers give lots of great tips for getting your kids to cooperate. Even in these early ages, you can use that independence and use these tools to get things turned around so that getting on this responsibility track is much, much easier. The next thing a lot of us don't think about a lot is how do we teach our kids to advocate for their own needs? Now, the class covers tons and tons of things from how to take care of their own belongings and teaching them how to do that. When they need to take on all of these different processes and certain life skills they should be able to do by age so that by the time they leave the house at 17, 18, not 17, by the time they leave at 18 or 19 or 20, that they are really prepared to handle their lives. Doesn't mean we're not in them. Doesn't mean we don't still support them emotionally and in the ways just as a friend or a family member would do anyway. But this is something I don't think we think about a lot is how do we teach our kids and hand off them advocating for themselves, for their own needs, desires, and wants, especially with people outside the family. They're great at doing it with parents, but how do they do it with people outside of the family, especially authority figures? Now, I remember one day Carter came home from school and told me something his first grade teacher said to him that she probably shouldn't have said, and I don't even remember what it was. Oh, he said she called him a liar or something like that. Now, I asked him, how he would bring it up with her, how he would approach her to talk to her about it. And he said he didn't feel comfortable doing it because he would have gotten in trouble for speaking out of turn. So I asked him if he wanted me to schedule a meeting with her, and he said yes. 
Now, I said the three of us would need to meet together. I wasn't going to go just meet with her without him there. And this way, I could encourage him to advocate for himself, and I could be there to support him and back him up. And that's exactly what we did. Now, she denied saying it, and I didn't outrightly accuse her. Obviously, that wouldn't have been the right way to handle it. And I know little kids can really misconstrue things, so who knows what was really said, but that was just his understanding of what she was saying. But the point was to help him and her to learn how to communicate so that she doesn't think he's being disrespectful if he comes to her to talk about something that he thought he heard. And also teaching him that it's okay to bring up these concerns. And so I asked her exactly that. I said, if Carter hears or misunderstands something in the future, what is the best way? How would you like him to approach you so that he can have it addressed without getting in trouble for speaking out of turn? And I felt like this was a really great learning lesson for him to learn how to have these conversations without accusing and to get to the problem solving and learn how to approach authority figures in a respectful manner. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.